So Money Episode 874, Tori Dunlap, founder of Her First 100K. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. I was just talking to a friend about negotiation and and women pay a price for negotiating, but we also pay a price for not negotiating. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of, there's so many tight ropes. We as women walk every single day. Today's guest, Tori Dunlap, believes she was put on this planet for one reason, and one reason only, to fight for wealth equality. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Tori Dunlap is the founder of Her First 100K. It is a website, it is a movement, and Tori created this to educate women about money and to encourage them to join her on the journey to amass $100,000 by 25. She's making a lot of headlines. You may have come across an article about her. She teaches women how to negotiate, save, invest, and she's a content creator, a speaker, and a coach. She's only 24. I haven't been 24 in a while. (laughs) And I thought I was ambitious then. And Tori definitely uh, takes the prize. Very excited to introduce to you Tori Dunlap. Tori Dunlap, welcome to So Money. Thank you so much for having me. I'm beyond thrilled to be here. You're such a rock star. 24 years old, on your way to saving 100 G's. Yeah. Okay, let's just start there. How are you doing this? Uh, first thing I like to acknowledge is like, I had, I had a great support system. I had a really great financial education growing up from my parents. I'm an only child We're we're all a really close, tight knit family. And so I had a great financial education. I started my first business when I was nine. I ended up owning 15 vending machines by the time I graduated high school. Uh, so I learned how to, I learned how to money. I learned how to pitch myself. I opened my first checking and savings account to run my business when I was nine, 10, 11 years old. So I grew up with a really great understanding of what it meant to manage your finances and manage them well. So, uh, I graduated college and negotiated every job I had ever had negotiated every offer, uh, which was a huge, huge part of getting me to a hundred K and we're mm-hmm. still on that journey. But I think the negotiation was key. I also had a really great side hustle that I booked right out of college. So I had my nine to five job, uh, that I saved some from that, you know, a, a chunk of savings from my nine to five income. And then everything that was side hustle, Money went straight into savings. So that was a huge nest egg that I built up. I also invested really early. I started investing right out of college as well. And when I got my first quote unquote big girl job, I had a Roth IRA, I had a SEP IRA through my business. So there was a lot of strategic things I did that I was able to do because I had a really great financial education. Incredible. But what's motivating you? I know a lot of people who come from, you know, resources and perhaps get financial literacy growing up and maybe they don't um, have the goal of being a six figure individual by their 25th birthday. This was a clear goal of yours from very early on. What do you want this money to provide for you? the biggest thing money provides us, especially as women is financial freedom and it's the freedom to make any sort of decisions. So I ended up last 
at this time, actually last year I was unemployed because I took a job that I thought was a perfect fit for me and had to quit 10 weeks later because it was so toxic without another job lined up. And I was able to do that because I had an emergency fund. So what I not only am trying to do and striving to do is provide financial freedom and financial education for myself, and then also pass that along to others, which is why I founded my business. The, you know, having your financial life together is not only a woman's best form of protest, but it also allows us to have the financial life that we always wanted. So whether that's, yeah, quitting an unhealthy job, leaving a unhealthy relationship, having the freedom to do that, having the freedom to quit your nine to five and go start your own business or take a vacation or retire early, or even have enough savings to, you know, make sure you're comfortably retired at 60, 65 money allows you to build the lifestyle you want and the, gives you the freedom to make choices to have the lifestyle you want. You're a huge advocate for financial feminism. Obviously, yeah. you're, you're transparent with your story at her first 100K, which is the business you started and the, where you chronicle your journey. And you know there is a lot of adversity, funny enough, as someone who's out there in the world advocating for women and financial independence. For example, I just received a one-star review for this podcast <laughs> from a gentleman named Billy, Bill Bailey, who said that, that he believes um, I'm overzealous in my feminist beliefs. And that's why he rated me so poorly on this podcast. He also thinks my advice is terrible. Um, that is up for debate. And <laughs> you yourself also in your life have, you know, you said earlier we were before we were recording that you had a huge profile of your work and your accomplishments hit the wires like on MarketWatch and Yahoo and all these amazing places. And the vitriol that ensued from men was disheartening. And tell me a little bit about that part of it too, because I think that's important for transparency reasons. Like this is not all like a smooth ride, right? This is, this is definitely yeah. an uphill battle in some ways to be able to not only feel secure in your journey, but also to continue to be an advocate for everybody given all this sort of backlash that, that we get for simply wanting to have equal financial independence for everybody. Yeah. And I think it's crazy that we get this kind of feedback, even for having conversations. You know, we're just talking. There's, you know, there's no sort of like actual action happening. Hopefully people are inspired to take action by listening to these conversations, but it's crazy the amount of vitriol that I got just by sharing my story of starting my first business, the support I had from my family, how I was on track to do this, acknowledging my privilege. The interesting thing is we ha I had two comments back to back. One that said she shouldn't be acknowledging her privilege. She should just focus on her working hard. And then the comment right after was, why doesn't she acknowledge her privilege more? Uh, so it's, it's an interesting arena to be in. And I'm never going to stop acknowledging that I have, I have a lot of privilege, even as a woman, like I am white, I am cisgendered. I came from a middle-class background. I had but a financial You, you have to stop apologizing at some point, right? Like oh, the, the apologies are never enough. The, yes. the context is never enough. I find that that is an uh, disproportionately for women. Men never have yep. to, as much as women, you know, justify their success. Women, whether that's our own feeling that we have to, our own need, like we feel sort of an out, you know, <laughs> yeah. unjustified somehow in our own way or others projecting that on us. It's, it, let's just call it out. It's unfair. Yep. And it has to stop. I so appreciate you saying that because it's so true. And I think we need these conversations. I, I was telling you before we started recording, finance and talking about money, you cannot 
not also consider things like gender and race and disability and LGBTQ. Like you can have a conversation about money and also talk about all of the factors affecting that money. So yeah, it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard for women out there because we want to be able to tell our stories, but no matter how, you know, and how in detail we go about maybe, you know, the privilege we have or the privilege we don't have, we're somehow, you know, knocked. And that happens in our careers too. You know, women, I, I say a lot and I hate to have the victim mentality, but I, I don't think, I don't think you can have conversations about money without discussing these sorts of things, which is, you know, you're either too pretty to be taken seriously or you're not pretty to be taken seriously. You know, it's, there's so many things as a woman where you're either too much or too little. You're never, you're never what society exactly expects you to be. Or, you know, I was just talking to a friend about negotiation and, and women pay a price for negotiating, but we also pay a price for not negotiating. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of, there's so many tight ropes. We as women walk every single day in our careers, in our relationships, in society, and, uh, money affects every single one of those, which is why I love talking about money. And I love giving women actionable resources to be able to take on their own money because like I said, like having a good financial education, you can be more in control of your life and your career and your choices. Your site is your, your site is her first 100k.com. It's part of a bigger company called victory media. Tell us about what you're hoping to accomplish with your, with your firm. Yeah. So Victory Media was kind of my blog and my brand. And now it's just my LLC. I rebranded to her first 100K a couple weeks ago. So everything kind of transitioned over. So I'm now kind of her first 100K. And my big thing is, you know, my journey to get to $100,000 saved at 25 inspired my journey to get other women their first 100K too. So whatever that looks like for that woman. That could be debt paid off. That could be 100K saved, 100K earned, 100K invested, maybe 100K earned in your business. So mm -hmm. it's giving women, again, actionable financial resources to go out there and feel like they can finally be in control of their money. You're based in Seattle. So I would love to invite you to Stacks House, which is our financial pop-up in Los Angeles launching in April this month, actually. That's fantastic. So I've, been, I've been reading about it. It looks so cool. It's going to be, and the, and the pictures haven't even been leaked. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's going to be um, even more amazing once we start sharing the insides of the build. But I feel like your um, presence would be such an asset to the community. And so stay tuned for an invite personally for me for that. Oh, I love that. That would be so cool. Um, tell us about your biggest money failure, although mm. you're only 24. It seems like all you've been doing is succeeding, but I'm sure along the way you've learned a lesson or two yeah. and would love to just, you know, explore that. Have you share something along those lines with us? So I touched on it briefly earlier, but I took a job in uh, late, I think it was 2017 for, I took a job for the money, quite frankly. I ended up negotiating $20,000 more than what they were willing to pay me. And I thought that a mo the money would make the difference for all the red flags and the, the alarms that were going off in my brain. So I walked in and didn't trust my gut and was able to negotiate yeah, a good chunk of change more than they wanted to initially pay me and thought that that money would 
balance out everything else that would, you know, it would make the difference. And by day two, I realized I had made the wrong decision and I tried to stick it out. And yeah, after 10 weeks, I had to quit that job without another one lined up, which is like the biggest personal finance no-no. So not only financially was it a, you know, a bit difficult, I did have emergency savings, which is the number one thing I advocate for everybody is getting at least three months of an emergency fund saved up. Um, but you know, I, it was not only a little financially difficult of, you know, not, not having a steady paycheck and, and slowly draining that savings, but also emotionally, like I had a boss who was, uh, toxic and, and a workplace that was toxic. And I'm still dealing with the ramifications of how that made me feel as an employee. I was a very confident, uh, person and a very confident employee. And I think I have had to rebuild that confidence over the last year and a half. And there's still things that crop up emotionally for me where, uh, I, I can tie them directly back to being in that toxic workplace. So I think not only financially, but emotionally, that was a great lesson about trusting my gut and understanding that, yeah, money saved is awesome, but money isn't everything. I was dreaming about, you know, the, the money I could invest in addition to the money I was already saving and, and, you know, the trips I could take using that extra money, but it was not worth, uh, being miserable at a place where I'd spend eight, nine hours a day, five days a week. Well, you know, they say the best lessons are learned early on in life. (laughs) Better (laughs) to fail when you're young. And really, I mean, in the grand scheme of it, um, so many wins there, even though it felt maybe like a failure, like you got, you know, you really stuck to your, stuck to your, um, you listened to your, sorry, you listened to your intuition and you stuck with it. So that's, that's a very uh, inspiring story. It's this episode is airing in financial literacy month. And we wanted to ask guests during this month in, in partnership with our sponsor, Chase, to share, you know, maybe what um, you, sorry, how you gained most of your financial knowledge. Was it your parents? Was it um, just having this appetite for learning that got you asking a lot of questions? Share a specific story. Maybe there was a moment where you feel like you kind of got, it all clicked and you were like, I need to grow up to become financially independent. Yeah, I think it definitely was my parents, like having not only the gift of a great financial education uh, through my business, but just, I watched my dad call Comcast, call like our cable provider probably once every three months and negotiate his bill. Like I saw that happen growing up. I saw them balancing their checkbook. I saw my mom paying bills on two designated days every month. I saw them having money conversations. And so I truly, you know, had a great financial education through my business, but also my parents led by example. And I think, I think one of the the key moments that kind of clicked for me was I had all, you know, I had a good chunk of college savings from my, my vending machine business. Um, I had been saving the majority, I think 90% of that money went to my college fund. And my parents also, I was lucky enough to have them contribute financially to my college as well. I also worked, you know, three on-campus jobs and, and worked a summer job. And most of that money went to my college fund too. And then merit scholarships, but we were having conversations every semester 
you know, I'd come home and we'd sit down and we'd look through, okay, what is this semester going to cost after we factor in scholarships and, you know, my dorm and all of these things. And we had really collaborative conversations about, okay, how are we going to pay for college this year, this semester? And I realized we, we realized around my junior year that we were going to be able to do it debt free and it wasn't going to be easy. We still had two more years to go and, you know, still earning scholarships and still making sure that I was working hard at my jobs, but we could do it. And that was one of those moments where I realized even in having conversations with friends at that time, when I was 20, 21, my friends, some of my friends were going to graduate with six figures of debt for a four year degree. And I realized the power of being able to graduate without student debt. And not only the gift my parents gave me, but the importance of, you know, me having jobs on campus and me funneling my money into, you know, a savings account rather than spending it every weekend on going out or doing, you know, doing crazy activities in college. I had fun, but I was also really focused on, on how do I graduate without student debt? And so I think that was the moment where I realized that any sort of debt can be, you know, it can be a way to move your life forward most definitely, but it also can be absolutely crushing. And so that was one of those moments where I realized, okay, if I can team together with my parents and, and, you know, create this really collaborative process of how do, how do we, how do we get out of college in debt? You know, I could, I could start my career feeling, feeling really excited for what the future held. And, um, how about your parents' backgrounds? I want to know, is yeah. this just, is like a generational thing? I don't know. I think both of them grew up. My dad, I think grew up more poor than my mom and my parents are very, very hard workers have, have always been savers and, you know, very frugal. And, um, I I don't know. I think it just came from truly like, and, and like, this is going to make me want to cry, but truly trying to give me a life that they didn't have growing up. And that's an incredible gift. That's an incredible gift that Mm -hmm. they wanted to give me. So I, you know, if I, if, and when I have kids, that's, that's something that I want to continue to pass on to them of, you know, a really solid understanding of money and, 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 and the feeling of wanting to pass that advice along as well. Yeah. Tell us about, you know, one thing that you would tell you're, although you're only 24, but you know, you no, would tell your, play this game. you would yeah. tell your way younger self, like your eight-year-old self, your nine-year-old self. I feel similarly in, in how you kind of were raised and the mindset that you have. But personally, I feel like sometimes I just didn't give myself the, the opportunity to have more fun and to, yep, and me to too. mess up me a little too. bit me and, <laughs> you know, let things get messy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't, I'm still trying to figure out if that's a, if that was a good thing or a bad thing. Um, yeah. but what about you? What, what would you say to your younger self? Yeah. I mean, I'm right there with you. It's hard to look back and, uh, ask myself to have more fun because maybe I wouldn't be the person I'm proud to be today, but at the same time, maybe I would have lightened up a bit. So <laughs> like, it's hard to know, but I, I think a lot about that. I think about if I, my eight year old self was meeting my present self, what would she like about me or what would, what would she be proud about? Um, I think, I think the biggest thing, actually, surprisingly, I grew up, um, with, you know, a lot of really great girlfriends. And at the same time, I grew up with a really catty group of girls and they were very, um, they were very manipulative and very just plain mean. And I grew up 
thinking that, okay, there's, there's some good ones out there. But unfortunately I had this mindset that most women and most girls, I should say at that age, were kind of out to get me. Like I couldn't really trust them. I couldn't really ask for their support because they, they would be mean. They would share, you know, secrets I had told them for their own gain. And Mm. that was just from growing up with uh, a couple girls who were just not very nice. And I do thank them because I am the person I am today, uh, in a large way because I, try to not care what other people think about me. And I've always been my own person. And that stems from that. But I think one of the things I would tell my eight year old self is like supporting women, you'll get to the point, little Tori, after you graduate college, (laughs) when you'll realize like the support of other women is the strongest thing that you will have. Truly, like my supportive group, you know, the the women in finance who support each other, like you included, this incredible group of women who we back each other up, we share each other's work, we give each other other opportunities. And that's been absolutely incredible. And that's shown me the power of women. The the group of women I have supporting me and who I support in Seattle. Uh, you know, my, my, my friends who are also incredible supporters, not only of my career, but my relationships and, and my personal development and growth. Uh, it's been phenomenal. And that's just come through time and through learning. So when I was eight and I had, you know, maybe my two or three girlfriends who I adored and trusted and loved, but largely saw girls as, as people not to be trusted, I would tell her that you're going to grow up and you're going to meet really amazing women who are going to have your back and you're going to have theirs. Hmm. Well, it's, and you know, you're paying it forward. I mean, you are such a mentor. I try, I try. Yeah. You know, for, you're a mentor at a distance too to so many people. Don't forget, like so many people probably consider you to be such a role model. You've never met them. Yeah. It's crazy to think about and it just makes my heart so happy. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Okay. So let's do some so many fill in the blanks before you yeah. uh, are off to doing, continuing your greatness. Um, this is just a easy, fun um, way to end the show. Finish the sentence. First thing that comes to mind. If I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do is? Uh, I'd buy myself a trip. I would give a good chunk of money to my parents and I'd probably save the rest. (laughs) Yeah. By the way, how do you invest? Yeah. I mean, I don't have a four. I actually have a nine to five job. I don't know if we've even touched on that, but I have a nine to five job and then I have my business. And so Mm -hmm. we don't have a retirement plan through my work. So I Mm -hmm. have an IRA, specifically a Roth IRA. I also have a SEP IRA uh, through my business. And then I have a non-retirement investment account. uh, And all of that is through TD Ameritrade, who I like and love. Cool. All right. One thing I spend on that makes my life easier or better is... Um, I live alone in Seattle and I pay a premium for that, but I'm willing to do that. And yeah, send in my rent check every <laughs> month. And it's a bit of like a, Oh, this is, this is hard to do, but I, I love living alone and I'm willing to, I'm willing to pay more to do that. <laughs> when I donate, I like to give to blank because planned parenthood because, uh, they're doing incredible work. They're doing incredible work for yeah. women and men all over the country. Agree. One thing I wish I had learned about money growing up is, I'm, I'm curious mm. to hear this one. I know. Oh, um, one thing I wish I'd learned. Um, I, oof, that's a tough one. I think I, I wish 
I learned the exact script of negotiating even better because I saw my dad do it with, um, with like his bills, but I had to learn and I'm still learning what to say in like an actual career or job situation where you're negotiating. And so that's something I wish I, I had learned earlier. Yeah. Well, I don't think you're alone there. It's no. <laughs> it's not it's not a conversation that naturally comes up and I want to just give pr- parents credit out there like you got so much going on. Like this is it's a hard thing to carve out and and teach deliberately, but um Oh, completely. Yeah. I honestly don't think it's about, you know, at 10 years old, like compound interest, even if you share that with your kid, like it's, it might not stick. It's more important, I think, just to Im- exemplify and model really good behavior. Yeah. Agreed. At the end of the day, because that's what kids retain and it's what really, really leaves an impact. You can Google compound interest. All right. Last but not least, I'm Tori Dunlap. I'm so money because. I'm so money because I'm using my financial education to better women's lives. Bravo. Tori Dunlop, thank you so much. And um, I can't wait to catch up when you're 30, <laughs> when you're, uh, you know, you're going for your first million. Um, oh, no man. doubt. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for sharing your time with us and best wishes. Thank you so much for having me. I listened to the show. And so it's such a thrill to be on. Thank you. For more from Tori, check out herfirst100k.com. And you can also follow her on Instagram at herfirst100k. All this information is at somoneypodcast.com. And I just want to say that today is opening day at Stacks House, Los Angeles. We're very excited to open doors to Los Angeles, to the people of Los Angeles and everyone visiting the West Coast. You can go on Instagram. And follow me at Farnoosh Tarabi and check out all of the behind the scenes, the front of the scenes, the play-by-play. Oh, man, the visuals are just out of this world. So join me there. would love to see you if you're going to be in the L.A. area until May 19th. And if you want us to come to your city, let me know because we're going to be touring. By the way, you can get tickets at StacksHouse.com slash tickets. Use the code SOMONEYSTACKSLA for 20% off. Thanks for tuning in, everybody, and I hope your day is so money. Money.